morning to Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. My name is Jeff Birch, and I'm the pastor here at LOPC. And whether you are here with us in person or on the live stream, we are thrilled that you have chosen to worship with us this morning. And it is certainly our hope and our prayer that this is a rich experience of worshiping our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so if you're a visitor here with you all are not hearing me? I'm getting, I, I saw two people shaking their head. We're having technical difficulty, I heard. Is that mean I'm, hey, whoa, wait a second. Okay, let's play this again and start over. This will be fun for the live stream folks. They'll be like, what's going on? Take two. So, yes, my name is still Jeff Birch. And rumor has it, I am still the pastor here at LOPC. And this, and this is, this is not rumor. The highlight for a follower of Jesus each and every Lord's Day is to gather together with our brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ to worship him, to exalt his name. There is no greater privilege for us to come together as a body and as the bride of Christ to sing the glories of Jesus. And so we are thrilled you're here with us. If you're visiting with us this morning, thank you for your patience that you put up with all our technical difficulties, and thank you that you're going to put up with my coughing that I guess I'll be doing this morning. I've had the flu this week. I promise I'm not infecting you all. I've been told that I'm germ-free, but I still am a little tired, a little cough, and stuff like that, so we'll pray. We'll all kind of muddle through together here a little bit, but I'm thrilled to be here. If you're visiting, we hope you got our goodie bag when you came in. I think it has some nice stuff. It lets you get to know us a little bit. And I would like to invite all of you, this is whether you're visiting or a regular attender, to sign in the friendship pads. They're on the end of your aisle. So if you're on the end of the aisle, get that started. Pass that down to your friend. It lets us know that you're here. A couple of brief announcements before we enter into worship. I want to, on behalf of Gene Hesse and the family, invite all of you to the Celebration of Life for Doug Hesse. That will be this coming Saturday. The date is October 22nd. It will be at 1 p.m. here in the sanctuary. And then immediately following, everyone is invited to an informal picnic down in the pavilion. So we want to invite you all to that. And then next Sunday, we have another missionary visit, Hernando Sands coordinator of Hispanic American Ministries at MNA and his wife Debbie, they will be with us. And so that will be a joint Sunday school class at 9.15 here in the sanctuary, and then a brief update during the worship service. And then for the women of LOPC, you all are invited to a baby shower. This will be uh, for Grace Thomas, and it'll be on Saturday, October 29th at 1 p.m. This promises to be an extremely fun time uh, to do that, come together, socialize, fellowship together, and celebrate the birth of a covenant child. How exciting. And so now what I want to do is ask uh, Kent Schumacher to come up, and we're going to bring up our missionary. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, my name's Kent Schumacher, and I'm one of the members of your mission team here at LOPC. And I have the distinct privilege this morning to invite up here in just a moment John Gordy, his wife Sarah, and their two children are with us, Charlotte and Grace. 
and we're thankful for his ministry at RUF at Valdosta State. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time. You don't want to listen to me. John, would you please come up? Thank you, Kent. Uh, it's good to be here with you all this morning. Uh, last time I was here uh, was two summers ago when we were in the middle of COVID and trying to figure out what all that looked like. I uh, preached three sermons here. Never done that before in, in one day, so that was a new experience. So, uh, But it's great to be here this morning in this capacity as well. I'm able to bring uh, my family with us this time, uh, Sarah and our two girls, uh, Grace and Charlotte, are here this morning uh, with us. And uh, so... Uh, but anyway, uh, thank you for your support of, of RUF, uh, Valdosta State. Um, RUF, Reform University Fellowship, is the campus ministry of the PCA. Uh, it's our denominational uh, campus ministry. Uh, it's the, the arm of the local church on the, on the college campus, so to speak. And so we've been serving uh, for four years with RUF at Valdosta State, going on four years. And uh, RUF was very impactful in our lives at UGA as students, and so uh, we're just thankful to be able to, to give back to this ministry in this way. And so I think about you all as well, though, uh, as a church, as a people, uh, as a body. Uh, and I think about what Paul says in uh, Philippians chapter 1, where he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And so even though we're three hours apart, we're in South Georgia, you all are in middle Georgia and Lake Country, uh, you are partners in ministry with us uh, at Valdosta State. Uh, you aren't uh, able to go to campus with us each day and each week as we meet for large group and have small group Bible studies and meet with students, uh, but you are a part of this ministry uh, through your support and giving uh, to this ministry. And so we're very much thankful for that. We couldn't do it without you. Um, all of our operating expenses for our ministry salary and benefits and all these things uh, come from, from generous support of, of churches and individuals like you. And so um, if you would um, love to keep up with us, I have some information back here on the table in the foyer. I have a, a sign-up sheet if you want to keep up with us through our email uh, newsletters and updates. We send out physical mailings a couple times a year. Uh, we do email updates as well uh, periodically. And so it's just a way for us to keep in touch uh, with the various individuals and churches that support us. If you'd, if you'd love to, to learn more about that and support us in some way, um, I'd love to, to talk with you. Feel free to reach out to me. I have my contact info back there. Um, but just to say a little bit about our ministry this semester, um, has, we've been very encouraged by our ministry. Um, VSU is a campus where we don't see a lot of um, PCA reform students coming uh, to the campus. Um, oftentimes I'll reach out to a lot of the pastors and elders in our presbytery and uh, ask if you have any students coming uh, to campus. We'd love to connect with them, and, and oftentimes we don't have any uh, that are coming to VSU. And so um, it's, a great, it's a great place for ministry. There's a lot of uh, opportunities and possibilities for ministry on the campus. Um, our group comes from varied backgrounds. It's diverse. Um, our campus is pretty much 50-50 uh, uh, white African-American. And so uh, in God's providence and his grace to us and provision, um, our, our group on campus is 20, 25 students or so that we're connected with in various ways. Uh, we're able to reflect that diversity of the campus. And like I said, students come from various backgrounds, churched, uh, non-churched, and so it's just a great opportunity for ministry. Um, and uh, so I appreciate your prayers. Uh, this semester, uh, we are, uh, I'm preaching through in our large group nights on Tuesday night through Mark's Gospel. And um, I, tell, I tell students that, 
uh, when you read Mark's gospel, uh, you can't get away from Jesus. Jesus is in our face. Uh, Throughout Mark's gospel, uh, Jesus is in our face, revealing more and more of who he is and his person and his work. And so um, students are hearing the gospel uh, preached every Tuesday night. Um, We have our small group Bible studies that meet on Thursday nights. And uh, we've just been encouraged by the students that have been coming. Uh, Like I said, a lot of our students are not not Christians, but they feel welcome uh, being a part of our group. As I said in Sunday school this morning, we don't hold back. We, we're going to talk about the Bible. We're going to open the Bible. We're going to uh, talk about what God's Word uh, calls us to, but also um, we're going to talk about His grace to us in Christ and, and how that uh, leads us and motivates us into following Christ uh, in, in all of our lives. And so uh, just thank you for your uh, support, uh, your encouragement, uh, your prayers. Uh, one way you can pray for us this morning as I close here is uh, just continue to be in prayer for our ministry, just in general for our students, um, that students would come to know Christ. Um, as I said this morning earlier, uh, God's at work. We believe God's at work on the campus. Before we step foot on the campus, God's always at work. Uh, we can't convert students. We can't change students' lives necessarily. We don't have the power and the ability to do that. But as we are faithful to the word and, and trusting that God's at work through his spirit as well, uh, we just continue to pray that students would grow and their understanding of who Jesus is, and, and that they would come to faith. And so um, that's just one prayer for our ministry, if you just would remember us in, in that. And like I said, I um, appreciate you all, and like I said, it's good to be here in person today and our, for our family to be here, and um, I'll be around after the service and would love to, to talk with you. If you have any questions about RUF and, and our ministry at VSU, um, would, we would love to connect with you. But thank you for this time, Kent. Let's just pray for John right now in his ministry. Father God, we are so grateful and thankful for Brother John that you have just laid on his heart this desire to take college students to places they've never been before. And Lord, we're praising you because we know that you are in control and your hand is upon them. And so, Father, we just ask that you just nourish and refresh and just bless his ministry. We ask this all in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. And John, I guess you can feel fortunate at the beginning of this week, I thought you'd be preaching again this morning. (laughs) So I guess for you it's a good news you had just the update and just the Sunday school class. Unless unless something happens in the next half hour while I'm leading leading worship. On Monday I wasn't so sure. So uh, we are grateful for this opportunity to come into the presence of the Lord. Jesus is here with us. Let's prepare our hearts for worship as we hear the prelude this morning.
Morning by morning, new mercies I see. And what greater mercy is there than being called by the God of heaven and earth to come into his very presence to exalt his name. Our call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 95. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy that you have called us to gather together to sing to the glory of your name, to seek your presence continually. May we make a joyful noise to you. May we sing to you with songs of praise. Fill us with your love and your heart and your mercy. We invoke your name amongst us through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Friends, let's stand together and sing Immortal, Invisible, God Only Wise. we may ask the question, why if we have been freed from the penalty of sin and the power of sin, why do we continue to struggle with sin? Why for the believer do we still sin? We choose wrong, not right. The answer every time is it comes down to love. Let's be honest. We sin because at that moment we love sin more than we love Jesus. It's always a love issue. Jesus said, and this is our need for confession this morning, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He's going to a basic doctrine of man, an anthropology if you would. And that is we will always, the heart wants what it wants and you will always do what your heart wants. Unless our hearts are transformed by the grace of God, it is only 
That's why Thomas Chalmers wrote this tremendous sermon. Look it up online sometime. One of the best sermons called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. It'll never work to say, stop sinning, do better, shape up. What has to happen is our hearts have to be captured by a greater love. And that can only be the love and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, take a few moments. Engage with the Lord. Do business with Him. We'll have our personal confession of sin, and then I will lead us into our corporate confession of sin together. Let's pray. Let us pray together. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy law. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And apart from your grace, There is no health in us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare all those who confess their faults. Restore all those who are penitent. According to your promises, declare to all people in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may now live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of your holy name. Amen. And our assurance of pardon comes from Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Friends, let's continue to worship, standing together and singing our song of praise, Behold Our God.
Sorry, that song absolutely moves my heart every time we sing it. I don't know about you, but there are times I feel like I've come just to the end of myself with the suffering of people and how people are hurting and the needs in the body and the needs in our community, the needs we have to offer the hope of the gospel to people who don't have that hope and to think that we have the opportunity now to commune with this God. Behold our God, seated on his throne. What do we have but Jesus? Yes, he is all we have. Sometimes I wonder, though, do we really feel or are we, do we recognize he's all we need? Let's together pray the Lord's Prayer, and then I will lead us in a time of prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Behold our God, seated on his throne. Come, let us adore him. Behold our king, nothing can compare. Come, let us adore him. Father, we need you. There are many in our body who are hurting and who are suffering right now. We think of the families of Doug Hesse and Dwayne Anderson and Bertie Gay and Joel Edwards and Greg Kitch. Lord, we ask that you would give comfort and peace. Your word teaches us, blessed are all who mourn, for they will be comforted. Help these families and us as a people as we go through lamenting and mourning, that we would experience your comfort, that we would not, in a sense, bypass the process, try to get over it too quickly, but we'd enter into the real sadness, I think, Jesus, of you weeping at death, raging at death. Death is the very last enemy to be defeated, and you do have a visceral anger at death, and you have come to defeat death, and the last enemy to be placed under your feet is death, and we long for that, and we praise you for the resurrection, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ has the final word, and we think of that hope. And we pray that, Father, we would have that hope. We pray for others who are hurting, recovering, going through difficult times. We think of Susan and Tom Porter, and we lift them up before you. Lord, we just got news of Carol Oxford having a fall this week. And we pray for her and her healing and recovery. And Father, I thank you so much for all the prayers and the support for my wife and for all the things Evie is going through as she sees her own family suffer. And Father, we think of all the suffering that's going on here, and we think of a community, and we think of ministry, and we think, Father, of the privilege we have of offering the gospel to a lost world around us. Father, we thank you that we have the privilege of partnering with John and Sarah and their ministry at Valdosta State. 
Lord, we, may we have compassion on the college students who, are, who truly are a part of a, a changing, ever-changing, how quickly changing culture. Lord, may we have compassion on how do we navigate that? How do they navigate that? How can they navigate that without Jesus? I pray that you use John and Sarah in a mighty way to bring Jesus to that campus, to bring unity, to bring renewal, to bring transformation. I pray, Father, for their family. I thank you for Grace and Charlotte. I pray that you would nurture that family, protect them. It's dangerous to be in ministry today. And they need your protection. They need our prayers. And Father, as we think of healing and we think of renewal and we think of hope, we think of LOPC 2.0 and what we envision for this community and we envision the gospel reaching this community. We pray for many to go from death to life, to be regenerated into new life, to be born again into new life. We pray for tens and hundreds and yes, maybe even thousands to come to Christ. We ask for renewal. We ask for revival. We pray that you would open our hearts, awaken our hearts to the need of the gospel. The community can look so pretty, but without Jesus, it's just pretty dead. And I pray that you would touch our hearts, awaken our hearts to the need for renewal. And Father, we thank you for this time to come together, to pray, to worship, to commune with you, the living God. We exalt your name. We continue to sing to you, all the earth, in Jesus' name, amen.
Weeks ago, we launched an initiative called LOPC 2.0. LOPC 2.0 is a faith-raising campaign. It is aimed at raising our faith that we would seek the Lord's transformation and the transformation of this community by His grace. It is an effort to ask the Lord to bless us over and above our normal operating budget with $1.5 million to build a staff team to refresh facilities, and to be an outward-facing church to do what we need to do in the areas of outreach to move forward and truly to seek to be a missional church, what God calls us to do. This morning, I've asked one of our elders, our session member, Bob Patton, if he would give just a brief update. And with my coughing, if he wants to break the two-minute rule I gave him and go for 20 minutes, it, it may work for you all. Who knows? Thanks, Bob. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, as Jeff just said, we just completed the second week of a six-week launch of LOPC 2.0. We have held 11 small group meetings over the last couple of weeks. We have had a chance to meet with 140 of our church family members, just casting vision and, and getting input. As Russ Utley said, we're not, you don't have to just sit and get. You also get to give input, which is fantastic. We are in the process of scheduling another series of these meetings. We'll probably have 25 or 30 with the goal. Between now and November 13th, we want to meet with every single member of our church in a small group meeting. So it's been super, super exciting. God is at work at LOPC. It's just incredible. The, the feedback that we have gotten from these meetings has just been casting this vision has been so encouraging the um, God blessing us with Travis as our youth pastor, crazy cool. God blessing us with Ellen, his wife, as our children's ministry leader, a just amazing couple. It just continues to be, to be amazing how much energy and feedback we're getting. We've had a lot of people come back to us after these small group meetings, intimate Acts chapter 2 type home meetings, and said, I've heard your presentation, I've read your material. I prayed about it, and we are all in. We want to give a material gift over and above our time to support LOPC 2.0. If you haven't picked up your booklet yet, please do so, um, and please do be looking for an a, a, um, invitation to come to one of the upcoming home fellowship, uh, home um, gatherings. So the um, the other thing I just want to mention to you is, you know, Quinia and I just are so excited about LPC 2.0. We love this church, and we just love, like you, we've been so inspired by Jeff, his passion, his leadership, but most of all, his call to all of us to be obedient and to become a missional church. That's the kind of church that we want to be a part of, and so we um, have prayed about it as well, and we want to, to give a gift, a material gift, over and above our tithe to support this exciting endeavor and just ask that you would continue to pray as Jeff just prayed. Pray for spiritual awakening across LPC. Pray for spiritual renewal across this community. And just pray for what role, what part God would have you to play in LPC 2.0. All right, Jeff. Thank you, Bob. Get back to you. Thanks.
If you have Bibles, I would encourage you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 15. Uh, we're going to pray in just a second and then read the scripture. And uh, I was thinking about this message this morning, what are we doing? Because of LOPC 2.0 and everything that we've been doing, we are just spending two short weeks on the topic of stewardship. And I thought to myself, well, okay, so I prepared the sermon, got everything done, we're all set. Yesterday afternoon, Evie calls me and says, what are you doing tonight? And I said, the Yankees are on. You know, I got to watch my New York Yankees, see how they do in the, in the playoffs and stuff. And then the Yankees lose 6-5 to five in a walk-off fashion. And I go to bed and I think to myself, oh, no, I'm preaching on giving tomorrow. It's going to be an angry sermon. This is, the wrong ter- this is the wrong topic to preach an angry sermon on. And then I thought to myself, and I've got this cough. So I thought to myself, here we gonna, we're going to be on the third point, all about the grace of Jesus. And I'm going to cough all the way through it, and you're going to miss the punchline. And I don't want you to miss the punchline. As we read the scripture this morning, I want you to notice a couple of things. First of all, and this is so important about grace giving. Paul says immediately in 2 Corinthians 8, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God. So immediately we think to ourselves, well, this is about giving. Jeff's going to hammer us. He's going to talk about money and all this. No, I'm going to talk about grace. I'm going to talk beginning to end about grace. And our giving is a reflection. Our lives are a reflection. The giving of our time, the giving of our talent, the giving of our treasures is a reflection to how much our hearts have been gripped and captivated by the grace of God. And Paul believes in this so much that he says later on, he says this, I say this not as a command. He's not commanding us here. He's not going, I'm telling you, you have to tithe. Uh Uh-oh, look out. He's saying, I'm teaching you, I want you to know grace, and I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. We call this campaign faith-raising. I might as well, we we could call it love-raising. Our giving, the laying down of our lives, what we offer to God first is a demonstration of our love for him. And we will only love him to the degree that we are thunderstruck by the fact that he loves us. So pay attention to those things as I read the text now, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 15. Paul writes, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you. See that you excel in this act of grace also. 
I say this not as a command, but to prove by the, burn, by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let us pray together. Father, as we open your word this morning, I ask that, Holy Spirit, you would be our teacher and that you would teach us about the grace of God that we would come to be confronted by your grace and see that our greatest need is understanding your grace. Open our hearts now to your word, to what your spirit is saying to us as individuals and as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. Tim Keller says, a lack of generosity refuses to acknowledge that your assets are not really yours but God's. We covered that last week. We looked at last week where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do you realize that God owns everything, your money, your stuff? It's not ours. It doesn't belong to us. We are a manager. We are a trustee. We are a steward. We're looking this morning at this passage from 2 Corinthians. Now, let's understand a little bit about Corinth. They were, in the ancient world, one of the largest and most cosmopolitan cities in the Roman world. The city was filled with corruption, extremely pluralistic, a very strategic city. And as a strategic city, it was also a very divided city, a very polarized city. There were some that were saying, if you want to see the city be transformed, you must be involved in it, get enmeshed in it. Others were saying, oh no, that dangerous Corinth, you better stay separate in order to preserve purity and holiness. Sounds a little like today, doesn't it? Some folks say, get involved, serve. Others say, whoop, you better back up, build a fence around us. The church at Corinth was also a very gifted and energetic church. Paul had founded this congregation during his second missionary journey. And during his third journey, while he was staying in Ephesus for a period of three years, messengers from Corinth came asking him various questions about various issues that they were struggling with. Apparently, the church at Corinth was extremely gifted, very talented, very energetic, but not very mature. There was bickering and infighting. They had moral problems. There were issues concerning the sacraments. They had a general sense of immaturity, as can be seen by their lack of love. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians addressing these issues, and now we're about a year later, and he's writing this second letter to them, expressing his thanksgiving 
for their response to these issues. Paul is also interested in encouraging the Christians at Corinth to continue their participation in a specific venture. That is to help the poorer Christians who've been affected by a recent famine in Jerusalem. The message of Paul's letter, the message of this passage here, is that God's power is revealed in weakness, not strength. God's power is brought out. God's power is demonstrated. God's power is most clearly seen, not in our being together, not in our being polished, not in having it all together, all right, but in our weakness, in our reliance upon his grace, in our dependence. In a me-first, self-absorbed, self-centered culture, sound familiar? Christians demonstrate the reality of God's grace and power in their lives by excelling in this grace of giving and excelling in this gift of generosity. We're going to look at three areas where Paul is showing us how we may excel in this particular area in our lives. We want to look, first of all, at the example of dynamic grace. Second, the principle of interdependent grace. And third, the motive of gospel grace. Paul says, we want you to know about the grace of God. He teaches us about dynamic grace, interdependent grace, and the motive of gospel grace. First of all, the example of dynamic grace. The contribution to the Christians in Jerusalem had its beginnings earlier when Paul and Barnabas made an agreement with the leaders of the Jerusalem church. The pillars of the Jerusalem church were James, Peter, and John. Paul and Barnabas go, and the book of Galatians kind of highlights this, they go and they make an agreement with these leaders that say, you will minister to the Jewish Christians, we will minister to the Gentile Christians. And there was one condition, because this famine was going on, the one condition was that Paul and Barnabas would make provision from the Gentile churches for the poor among the Christians in Jerusalem. And Paul was eager to keep this commitment. He saw this as a ministry opportunity. And so a year before 2 Corinthians was written, they began this collection. But as so often happens, giving began to tail off. Giving began to wane a little bit. And so in this section of 2 Corinthians, chapters 8 and 9, Paul is encouraging them to complete the task they have begun. Now we learn an incredible amount from how Paul deals with the Corinthians. There is no doubt he wants something specific from them. They made a commitment. He wants them to live up to their commitment. How do you think Paul would go about challenging them to live up to their commitment. I know how I would like to do it. It's easy, right? You committed to this. Let's go. Get up off your you-know-what. Come on. Right? Good old-fashioned whooping. Come on. We need to... That's not how Paul works at all. He doesn't chastise them. He doesn't motivate them out of guilt, out of fear, out of shame, out of pressure. Where does Paul point them? He points them to the realities of the gospel. He says, if giving is just like any other area of your life, it's never going to work by simply trying harder. 
I mean, how many of us have tried to, how many of us have said, okay, Jeff put together this Bible reading plan at the beginning of the year, community Bible reading, sounds great, we're going to try and stuff. How many of us struggle? Let's be honest. Okay. How many chapters does Ezekiel have? Will we ever be done Ezekiel? What's going on with this temple and the water's up to his knees? I mean, I don't get... Trying harder just doesn't work, does it? How many of us try to diet? I'm leading the way in that one, right? What do we do? I feel like that's my area all the time of try, fail, repent, try, fail, repent. I feel like it's wash, rinse, repeat. We do it over and over and over again. Say after me, trying harder does not work. In any area, including giving. Look at how Paul goes about it. He's pointing out the realities of the gospel, and the first thing he points out is that the gospel means relationally, we belong to one another. We are not independent from each other, but rather we belong to one another. Do you realize, friends, you belong to the same body as those college-age believers at Valdosta State? They are your brothers and sisters. This is bigger than a partnership. This is family. We belong to each other. John and Sarah's ministry is our ministry. And John and Sarah, our ministry is your ministry because we belong to each other. That's a gospel reality, whether you like each other or not. Paul is not saying it depends on your feelings. Oh, you've got to feel all. He's saying this is a reality. And then secondly, he points them to the doctrine of grace. This passage teaches us the centrality of grace. Grace dominates this passage. And one of the first ways he shows us this is by showing the example of the church at Macedonia. Look at how the Macedonians responded to the gospel. Verse 2 says, They were so poor that Paul did not even expect them to participate in the collection. Verse 5 says, They first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us. Grace impacted them in their committed self-giving to the Lord and to others. Notice how relational this is. They gave themselves to the Lord as a person and to them. Then in verse 4, this blows me away. They actually pleaded. The text says they begged with Paul for the privilege of sharing in this service to the other believers. I have to admit, that's not a phone call I normally get from anybody. Jeff, the session and you are launching LOPC 2.0. Don't leave us out. We're begging to be a part of it. How often does that happen? But this is how the grace of God impacted the Macedonians. Paul is telling the Corinthians, look at how the gospel has impacted the Macedonians. They are begging to be involved in this. Paul's message is simple. The Corinthians, who were relatively speaking rich, rich with blessings, not just monetary, but they had gifts, they had talents, they had knowledge, they had earnestness, had agreed to contribute, but now had stopped. The Macedonians, who were suffering in a severe affliction, the text says, who were poor, begged to contribute and actually did. Why is this? 
This is the dynamic of grace. This is the reality of grace. This is grace displaying God's uninvited favor towards sinners. They saw themselves not as together. They saw themselves as broken and recipients of the mercy and favor of God. They were blown away that God could say to them, because they're in Christ, you are my sons and daughters. With you I am well pleased. Do we tend to blow off the fact that God says to us, you belong to me, you're my family, you're sons and daughters. With you I am well pleased. Have we grown cold to the fact that the God of the universe can look upon us with favor? And see, what happens is, as grace is shown to them, grace now works in and through them. There's a Croatian writer, his name's Miroslav Volf, and he wrote the following comment. He says, inscribed on the very heart of God's grace is the rule that we can be its recipients only if we do not resist being made into its agents. What happens to us must be done by us. Having been embraced by God, we must make space for others in ourselves and invite them in, even our enemies. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying part of the very definition, part of the very working of grace is that when you receive grace, you will become an agent of grace to others. If, it works, if it's working for you, it's working in and through you. This is the dynamic of grace, grace that has been given to us is also grace that is at work within us. Next, look with me at verse 12 and the principle of interdependent grace. Paul writes, For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness. Now, what in the world is Paul talking about here? He is saying that the important thing in the exercise of giving is the willingness to share what one has with other people for their good. If it is not for the good of others, if it is not for the flourishing of others, you're doing it for yourself. Tim Keller writes, he says, living is giving. If you spend your money on yourself, you are just surviving. But if you want your life to count, if you want to really live, give. See, what Paul is here is talking about is he's giving a vision of biblical justice. No, not the justice that the world talks about. We're not talking about material equality. We're not talking a redistribution of wealth. He is giving a vision of spiritual equality that is born out of community interdependence. The equality that Paul is speaking of is that according to the varying resources of each, we've all been gifted in different ways. Remember, we don't own anything. Anything we have is a gift of God. God is the owner of everything. And anything we have is a gift of God. And so, according to the varying resources of each, there should be an equal willingness to give so that one person does not coast at the expense of the too great sacrifice of another. 
Now, what Paul is referring to, what he's alluding back to here, is the Exodus. And he's quoting specifically from Exodus chapter 16 and verse 18. He's recollecting the Lord's provision of manna in the wilderness. That by God's miraculous working, those who had little and those who had plenty, both had enough. Both had sufficient. Everyone had as much as they needed. See, Paul's point is that wherever God's people, however well or poorly endowed, are prepared to use their gifts and resources willingly, there will be fairness. There will be justice. There will be equality. There will be no injustice. Some have more. Some have less. All have enough. You know why? Because they're viewing their stuff as not their own. They're viewing their possessions as not their own. That is why this is not about a matter of how much one gives. This has zero to... That's why, notice this whole sermon, I'm not going to mention tithing. Tithing simply is about an amount. The Bible is talking about faith and love and grace. This is a matter of the heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I want us, like Paul wanted the Corinthians, to experience this joy. The application for us is simple. Search our conscience with God to ensure that some fellow Christian is not having to do more or pay more in the community of believers because we selfishly are doing less or paying less than we could. We must realize that we belong to one another so that even, even how we spend our money, even how we use our resources, have an impact on the rest of the community. We may not intend it or not, but how you use your time, your talent, and treasures, does, because we're interdependent. We may claim to be independent, but that goes against reality. We are interdependent. So lastly, and aren't you glad I'm not coughing yet? Because now we get to the punchline. I've given you the hard news. How do we put this together? What is the motive of gospel grace? We've seen the dynamic of grace. We've seen the principle of interdependent grace. What is the motive of gospel grace? Well, look with me at the example of Christ. Paul gave the example of the Macedonians. Now he's going to give the example of Christ. And look with me at verse 9. And verse 9, the session asked me to preach two sermons on stewardship. I think I could have preached five sermons on just verse 9. Because verse 9, look at this definition of grace and the gospel of grace. Paul says, and right after he says, I write this not as a command. Of course he doesn't write it as a command because he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Take a look at this. Though he was rich... That has got to be the understatement of the world. There's part of me that wants to read this and say, oh, Paul, though he was rich, the Bible only says, Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. How rich was Jesus? Oh, he only owns everything. He only owns the air, the molecules, the atom, our breath, everything. 
The word that says was here, though he was rich, is used as a present participle, indicating that he being rich. Philippians 2 kind of forms a good commentary on this, where it says Jesus being in very nature God, in his essential being, Jesus was all that God was. Do we recognize, friends, that everything we have is a gift? You know, one of the common objections that's often given in terms of giving of money and giving of resources is kind of along the lines of, I work hard for my money. Well, yes, you do. No question. But do you recognize who gave you the ability to work hard if you work hard? Who gave you the opportunities that you have? Who gave you the brains that you have? If you have the skill and the brains to be able to work whatever job. Who are you dependent upon for everything you have? Though he was rich. What did Jesus do with his riches? He became poor. Paul writes to the Philippians, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus emptied himself of everything. Though he was rich, he became poor. He voluntarily gave it away. Friends, this is true power. Oftentimes it said money is power. No. True power is when you give power away. True power is when you give power away, and no one does like that like Jesus. Saying then, for your sake, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Do we understand what it means to be rich? I mean, really rich. See, think about it. I pay quarterly taxes. So I pay taxes in January, April, September, January. So recently, a month ago, I paid my quarterly taxes. I would love to get a letter from the IRS, not that kind of letter, but a letter from the IRS that says, you are debt-free. Keep your money. You don't have to pay taxes this quarter. I'd be jumping up and down, but I would still not be rich. The gospel defines us as having all the riches of the United States Treasury. Because the gospel says not only, I love the fact that John in Sunday School, and if you missed Sunday School, I'm sorry you missed it because he gave a great presentation and I love how he brought out that one of the things they're teaching on the college campus is the differences between justification and sanctification. Do you know what justification means? It means God has made a declaration that not only are you forgiven, that's debt free. We are forgiven. The scriptures say, as far as the east is from the west, so far have your sins been removed from you. In a sense, do you have to give? No, you're debt free. But the rest of justification says, because you are in Christ, you are clothed, you are covered, you are filled with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That God sees you as having this filter over you, and it's called the righteousness of Jesus. That means the gospel is telling us that Jesus got everything we deserved so that we would get everything he deserved. He gets treated as if he were us, and we get treated as if we were him. 
Now think about that. We live like we're paupers, spiritually seeking. This is a rather lengthy quote, forgive me, but it's a good one. Tim Keller talks about the eternal value of giving to what will truly last. And he writes, he says, listen, friends, only one billionth of your entire existence is going to be spent here on earth. Do you understand that? When the sun is so old it dies, we're all going to be around to see that. The real question is, are you putting the power of your money into things that will outlast the sun? Most of the things we put our money into are going to burn up with it. But people who don't die, and the work of the Lord, and the word of God, which doesn't pass away, if you put your money into people, into the work of the kingdom, the things that your owner says you should put your money into, and you get rid of your thievery or your stinginess, you will find you're putting your money into things that last. One billionth of our entire existence is going to be spent here on earth. What are we putting our resources into? We live like we're paupers, spiritually seeking, when speaking, when we have been given the grace of God, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Friends, this is the motive and the power of gospel grace. It is the only thing that will transform us. It is the only thing that will change us. Trying harder, making new plans, working hard, won't work. Having our hearts gripped by the fact that though he was rich, he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. Friends, if you are a Christian, whether you have one dollar or a trillion dollars, you are the richest person on the face of the earth because you have the riches of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that we would know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's my prayer for us. I pray for us to know more and more your grace. I pray from my heart to know more and more of your grace. Father, we ask that you would transform our hearts by the power of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, let's close our service standing and singing together. Great is thy faithfulness. <coughs>
now receive the Lord's benediction. May the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now, this week, and forevermore. Amen.